As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. We use a couple different systems and software. If that was one thing we should have started right from the beginning, have really good property management software. Early on, we were using spreadsheets and QuickBooks. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm here today with our guest, Matt Tortoriello. Matt is joining us from Springfield, Massachusetts. Matt, how are you today? Good, Ash. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being a guest here. Matt is a full-time real estate investor and landlord that has over 25 years of real estate experience. Matt's portfolio consists of 250 units, and he has flipped and wholesaled over 300 units. Matt, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. So I actually started when I was 16 years old. I actually got a duplex working with my grandmother as a card money lend. And basically I flipped it a couple years later, had a little profit. And then about 12 years ago, I, I was still interested in real estate, but didn't really know where to go. And I kind of started with my best friend, Kevin. And we started buying in Springfield, Massachusetts, basically a whole bunch of foreclosures and just fixing them up and renting them out and just kind of building a team around it and kind of making all these different mistakes and learning as we go and happily just keep going. Matt, how did you get the real estate bug at 16 years old? You were in high school, right? Actually, nope. I was actually in college. I actually graduated high school very early. I started college when I was 15. Wow. So I actually went to a small college out in uh, Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And there was even a 12-year-old at my college. So it's kind of crazy, interesting little college. Let me revise the question. Sure. How did you get the real estate bug when you're in college with all those distractions around you? Well, my dad owned a restaurant. So I always kind of had an entrepreneurial mind, but I always saw him working really hard. So I was always looking for what could be different. And someone actually referred me to actually check out Rich Dad Poor Dad, which everyone talks about that book. And it was very inspirational, but I was lacking a lot of knowledge from it. 
And so then I kind of started going to landlord meetups out in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and met a bunch of landlords and started asking them a million questions. And they were all like, wow, who's this little 60 year old asking all these great questions. And some of them took me under their wing and taught me a few things and uh, kind of learned from there and made a bunch of mistakes, but mostly success. All right. So I'm blown away. You were doing extra reading in college. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then you went out and spoke to a number of real estate people to further your knowledge in real estate. What did you go to college for? What did you want to do? Pre-med. Pre-med. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. I minored in business a little bit and I originally was also focused a little in Chinese. I was learning more of the culture and stuff like that. And the way I learned early on was I need to go to school for a passion and not for a job. So I just kind of just whatever intrigued me, I was like, I want to learn that. And just, that's kind of how it all kind of segued in. Okay. So you weren't passionate about pre-med or were you? I was, that, that's okay. why I was going. I was passionate. So my brother actually was born with a brain tumor. So that kind of led me into learning more about science and stuff like that. He's my young brother. So I, once again, after going to the hospital, I, talking to the doctors there and kind of finding out more about it, I just dug in and started getting anatomy and physiology books, oncology books, and just kind of researching. And so that's kind of led my passion there. Same thing with real estate. Whenever I find something I have any kind of interest in, I just start digging in. Okay. Great source of inspiration. So at some point, did the real estate inclination start to outweigh the pre-med? It did. Actually, after the first two family in Pittsfield, I definitely got the bug and it seemed like it really worked. So I was like, all right, what can I do next? And I made the mistake of trying to do distance. I've actually bought a four family out in Saginaw, Michigan and lost everything. I got robbed by a, a property manager, it basically became vacant. It was more than 50% vacant. So therefore my insurance company refused to actually cover any loss. They had stolen everything. I had to foreclose on it. So made a lot of mistakes and learned from that, but I kept researching and reading, got a short-term job in the meantime. And then basically 12 years, it just happened that the stars aligned and I got back in with my best friend, Kevin, and we just, uh, whatever it takes, we're going to make this work. And yeah, here we are. After 12 years, what happened in those 12 years? 12 years from 2008. Well, you reconnected with your best friend. You yep. said after 12 years. Oh, from your childhood on. 12 years from 2008 to now. It's okay. been 12 years. What was the journey of those last 12 years? Well, the journey was we started with a two-family house. We basically bought it and kind of did the burr strategy before the burr strategy was coined. And basically, we kind of kept flipping that money into another two-family, a three-family, and just finding, we worked with a couple of local realtors, finding any REOs that we could at the time. We were doing tons of short sales. Um, I actually was doing gymnastics at the time. So I wanted to learn a backflip. So I met this other investor who had just sold a bunch of property in New Mexico. And he was intrigued by my interest and my passion that he basically jumped on board, brought a bunch of money. So now we just kept expanding because we had a lot more capital and we just kept putting offers out. I think we were putting out over a hundred offers a week for a while. And a lot of them started coming back. So we were like, all right, closing, closing, closing. And then it was me got my GC license, my lead license, my asbestos license. <laughs> and I'm like, crap, I got to figure out how to work with all these different contractors and managing contractors. Now we had a bunch of tenants. Crap, we need to figure out building a team around the tenants because we couldn't find a good management company in the area. So we're like, ah, so we just started working long hours and probably definitely didn't do it the right way. We should have had a plan before, <laughs> but we figured it out. We have a phenomenal team these days. We're ready for the next correction so that we can even grow farther, faster. 
Okay. So we've established you're one of those rare people that actually have more than 24 hours in every day. I try to. Yes. I don't. Okay. (laughs) So let's bring it back to college. Did you diverge from your pre-med path at some point? I did. Honestly, I started meeting with a bunch of doctors out at Dana-Farber in Boston. My brother was going out there constantly. So I started interviewing the doctors, asking them about their life, asking about what they'd invested in, all that kind of stuff. And I found out that most of them didn't have a family life. They weren't happy. They wished they had just stuck with research and not focusing on a college or not neurosurgery. So I kind of get a little disillusioned that this wasn't the path for me because these were people that I wanted to aspire to be and they weren't happy. And yet I had met all these landlords and investors and stuff, and they were super happy, tons of free time, constantly with their family. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Let me look over here more. So I kind of started shifting my focus more to the real estate and stopped focusing on the college aspect. Interesting. So now you're all in on real estate and backflips. Did you change your major to business or real estate? Nope. I finished four years and then just didn't continue on for my master's or anything like that. I just kind of decided to just focus on real estate and started growing from there. So Matt, by the time you graduated college, how many deals had you done? I had done four, four deals by the time I graduated college. So I was around 18 years old and I had done a few deals then. And then I took a little time off while I was trying to figure things out. And I had that bad deal in Michigan. Okay. Were those four buying holds? They were short-term buy and holds. Yes, they were okay. buy and holds. They were planned to be buy and holds, but at the time it made sense for me to sell them. So I sold them, made some cash, and then unfortunately put it all into this Michigan property and it didn't work out. But yeah, Let's hear about that. You know, we're diving into that one now. <laughs> <laughs> you already teased us about that. So let's go. Sure. So I was researching different markets and I wasn't finding a lot of deals in my area. So I'm like, oh, I can do this from a distance. I flew out there. And I met a local property manager that was also a realtor and talked to him. He showed me a couple of properties. I found this beautiful newer construction for family. It was mostly tenanted at the time. I had met with a couple other people to kind of get things going. He said he'd manage it for me. And I'm like, great. Signed the paperwork. Basically did most of it. We went back home, signed a few more paperwork for the closing. And I was like all excited. And then I was learning, trying to manage a property manager from afar and I kept asking all these questions, weren't getting answers. Turns out he just up and left and had stole some money from me. So I had to scramble, found another property manager. So I went to one of those big companies. So I'm like, oh, great, bigger company, they'll be safer. Well, they didn't focus on the property and they let it sit vacant for a long time. And eventually at some point, basically, I don't know what exactly happened, but maybe the last tenant left and stole the furnaces, the toilets, literally the kitchen sink. So I tried to file an insurance claim And they basically denied my claim because it was more than 50% vacant for three months. So basically I had to foreclose on myself. I got foreclosed on and tried to do the best I could with the bank, do it like a deed in lieu, but they pretty much ended up foreclosing on me. And I had to take a little time off trying to regroup and figure out what I did wrong, what I could have done better. And that led eventually into 2008. Okay. So knowing you for the last six minutes... I'm assuming you now decided you're going to start a property management company. Is that a wild guess or is that, oh, I hit it. That is correct. You are right. All right. So you saw how there was no good property management options out there. And now you collected yourself. Your mindset is, okay, I'm going to fix this problem that exists. Am I still on track? 
All right, take it from there. <laughs> so yeah, we basically found in our area, there was a lot of great guys out there, but didn't meet the needs that we saw that were needed in the area. Didn't have that attention to detail. So Kevin and I started building a team around that. It wasn't for property men for other people. At first, it was all about just for us because we were going a mile a minute. We were buying so much property. We didn't have the capacity to start taking other people on and having to deal with owners. We were already dealing with a bunch of tenants. So we were just focusing on that. But about a year and a half ago, things are leveling off. We're not buying as much property right now. So we actually opened our doors to property management and now are starting to actually work with some local investors from, from out in Boston. We're actually doing some commercial property management as well with a couple of people. So we've started expanding into that. All right, Matt, how many years ago was it that this property got foreclosed on? The property got foreclosed on now it would have been about 15 years ago. Okay. So what was your next acquisition after that foreclosure and where did the funding come from? It was a two-family on Union Street in Springfield. I bought it for $70,000. I worked with a hard money lender that Kevin had actually met from Boston. He funded 90% of the purchase price as well as most of the rehab. I think it was 15% and three points. So it was kind of steep at the time. Yeah. And when Kevin and I had a little bit of funds saved up, so we used that. And then it was mostly me doing a lot of the work. Kevin had a job at the time as a used car salesman and I didn't have a job. So I was like, all right, I'll do all the sanding of the floors. I will do all the sheetrock, mudding, sanding, da, 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 da. And so we just kind of worked late hours together and Kevin would, after work over there, we'd knock it out and we got everything done in about a month and a half, had it rented out pretty much almost instantaneously. And we started the refinance, paid off the hard money lender, pocketed an extra 30,000 that we then leveraged into the next two family. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. One of the hardest tasks to balance while scaling your real estate investing business is accounting. Well, realestateaccounting.co takes care of the numbers for you so you can grow your business and revenue. REA helps property managers and investors save time and money by automating back office, financial, admin, and accounting. Starting is quick and seamless. From accounts payable to reconciliations, taxes, and reporting, go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever to find out how REA clients save on average 30% by leveraging their accounting services versus hiring in-house. With CPAs on staff and being owner-operators themselves, REA knows the challenges of your growing real estate business. Try it risk-free at realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. And remember to mention the Best Ever Podcast sent you to receive up to $1,800 towards onboarding and services. That's realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. 
Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. Through no fault of your own, you got kicked in the teeth. But here you are, a college grad, and you're riding this upwave of making money off real estate. And all of a sudden, your world comes crashing down. So you pick yourself back up. And at any point, did you think you would just go work for somebody and get a job? Or were you all in on real estate? I was all in. We have a lot of up and downs throughout the years, but not once have I thought of ever actually looking back and trying to get a job. If anything, if everything crashed tomorrow and I lost everything, I would find and start another company. Probably do real estate because I love real estate, but I would start any other company. I love being an entrepreneur. I love being self-employed and business owner. So I think that's definitely something I would still focus on. I couldn't. Very inspiring. All right. So you've made the 30 grand and now your next deal was, did you say a two family or four family? It was another two family. Another two family. Okay. And that I'm assuming went smooth. I think we underestimated the rehab by about $10,000. The main sack was actually cracked that we couldn't see because it was behind the walls. So it was a cast iron. So we actually had to bring it up to code. So we had to take it out, put ABS back in and have it all replumbed, which costs about 10 extra thousand that I wasn't anticipating. But we still turned a profit on that and now leveraged that and brought a four family on Belmont. That was the next one. Okay. And that was a win as well? That one was also a win. We owned that for nine years and then sold it for a crazy profit. Okay. So now I've known you for about 12 minutes and I know that this isn't enough. You've got three wins and in your mind, you're thinking, how do I supercharge this business model? Am I correct? Okay, <laughs> let's keep going through the journey. <laughs> Basically, that's around the time we started met with that investor in gymnastics class. And that was kind of the next step to supercharge was basically we need more capital to be able to put more offers out. We were putting more offers out, but some were coming back and I had denied the offers because I didn't have enough capital. So that was when he came in, he brought in about another million dollars that we were able to basically leverage that with all these deals. And at that time, it was short sales like crazy. So we were just putting offers out and we were finding maybe a month or two later, those short sales were coming back. Some took six months to close, but either way, it, it was just all about how many offers can we put out? At one point I was looking at maybe 10 to 12 properties a day, just driving out, looking at the properties, writing up scopes, figuring out what we should bid on it. And, and we just kind of kept going with that with this one realtor who was just amazing. She just took me and drove me everywhere. We were working Saturdays and Sundays. She was nonstop. So it was awesome. How did you find this investor? And then more importantly, how did you convince them to give you essentially a million dollar line of credit? It was actually in gymnastics class and I'm just a very open guy. Honestly, I'm an open book. I like talking about what I'm doing. And we were at gymnastics class. He was there and I just started talking about what I was doing that day and how I was renovating this house. And I was, oh, we just bought this. And he's like, really? I'd like to hear more. So he invited me over to actually jump on his trampoline. So I went over there and we were flipping on his trampoline and we just started shooting the shit about everything. And one thing led to another. He's like, I'd like to invest with you. So I'm like, okay, let's figure out how that would work and draw up a operating agreement. And he became an actual, not just a line of credit, but he was a partner. So he kind of invested in as a partner. Was he hands-on at all or just passive? Originally he was passive. So once again, making a lot of mistakes, we had another person at the time that was kind of helping. It turned out he was actually stealing money from us. So we found out that a little bit later. So this investor became a little bit more active at that time because he wanted to protect himself. 
So he actually became more active and we all kind of worked a little bit more diligently after we got rid of that person and moved from there. Not to change the subject, did you finally learn how to do a backflip or no? Oh, yes. Okay, uh, perfect. Yeah, round off, back handspring, back tuck. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so now you're turning and burning with this partner, investor. What systems do you have in place to allow you to do all of this? We have 25 employees. We have an on-staff electrician, on-staff plumber, HVAC techs. We use a couple different systems and software. We have Rent Manager as our accounting slash property management software, which has been phenomenal. If that was one thing we should have started right from the beginning, I have really good property management software. Early on, we were using spreadsheets and QuickBooks. Oh my God, I wish we had done that. Just from the beginning, great property management software. There's a lot of them out there. Rent Manager was ours and it's been phenomenal for us. We use Asana, project management software, so that we can work in-house with everyone. We also use Google Docs consistently and do have outside spreadsheets for a lot of different things with vendors. And we've been working a lot with Home Depot. And a lot of people don't know this, but they bought this company called Margin Point, which is a inventory management software. So basically we actually have our own warehouse. It used to be called the optics program through Home Depot. So we have like a mini Home Depot in our warehouse. So we have about 200 SKUs of common items that our maintenance guys use. So when my maintenance guys come in, I delegate the work orders. They then go into our warehouse, use their phones to check out all the different stuff. And then they go right out to the field. They're not going to Home Depot or Rockies or any of these stores where they have to spend an hour in line or whatever. They can literally grab the stuff in here. And when it gets low on inventory, it actually sends a signal to Home Depot that up where below the min, set up an order, send me a text to confirm. I confirm, they drop it off. We restock our shelves. You just blew me away. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of systems. Let's rewind okay. to when you're ramping up. Sure. What kind of growing pains did you have? And what systems did you implement at that time? One of the biggest things at first was we were working with a lot of subcontractors and managing subs. So what I found was it was easier for me to actually have employees just because on laws and stuff like that, what you can and can't tell a sub to do versus what an employee. So early on, it was getting some good staff and learning to manage the staff because it wasn't something I had a background in doing. And then it was having them check in and using like a timesheet software to just track all that so that they're actually following all the work orders. You're making sure you're getting stuff done. I think we also had to make sure we were calling up our tenants because one of the other issues that we were having was we were running around so much that we would find that work orders weren't getting always completed. Maybe they mudded the wall, but they haven't gone and sanded and painted. And then we're just like, oh, we got to get this done. We were just a little too sporadic. So it was more about having someone in the back end, making sure following up, making sure the work orders were all getting completed, making sure we had documentation, especially in Massachusetts. It's a very tenant-friendly state. We need to document everything. I want before and after photos. So it was also putting all that together, which is where Rent Manager really helped because they could have a tablet, they could take a picture, upload it to the work order. It'd be on our server side in the back end. So we could all see that. And then if Kevin or I went to port, we had all that history of notes, all the work orders, all the pictures, and could you now kind of present that to the judge so they understand that we were doing the right thing. Matt, what's an example of something you can't tell a sub that you could tell your employee? Well, you can't tell them how to do something. You can tell them what you want to do, but you can't tell them how, essentially. That's okay. kind of the big because if you start telling them how to do stuff, essentially the way in Massachusetts, at least I'm not sure other states, from an insurance perspective, they're actually looked as an employee. 
So now you have to actually, on my general liability and stuff like that, I have to actually say that they're my employee. And so therefore I have to pay on top of that. So even though they might have insurance, it might not be covered based on the way I was transacting with them, as well as if they're hundred percent dedicated to me all the time, they don't have other clients that can also be construed that they're actually really an employee, not a subcontractor. So I can't really 1099 them. So I got to make sure that I'm following all the rules. Otherwise it can bite me. That's interesting. I'm going to go out on a limb and I think that's a law unique to your area and maybe some larger cities, but yeah, very interesting. All right. So now you're turning and burning and again, you're not done. You're going to supercharge it again. What's the next step? So at this point, we, about four and a half years ago, we actually partnered with another gentleman and he's been doing it all by himself, but he was looking for someone to build systems. And that's what we do. That's what we specialize in. So we teamed up with him to start buying more foreclosure properties. At that time, there were so many foreclosures going on, auctions. So we built a system where we created some software, where we were scrubbing all the different websites for auctions because Massachusetts is actually a non-judicial state, whereas Connecticut's a judicial. So we're able to pull all that information together. What does that mean? What's the difference? Oh, so a judicial state is basically asked to go in front of a judge to be foreclosed. Whereas in a non-judicial, they have certain paperwork they have to do, but they don't have to go in front of a judge. So whereas like right now with the moratorium and everything, a judicial state, if it's gone through the judge, it's clear. You definitely have a clear title. You don't have any concerns. Whereas right now, if you're actually getting foreclosed in Massachusetts, there's so many loopholes that can happen, especially with the moratorium, that you want to make sure you have a clear title because it doesn't go through a judge. You just got to make sure everything's covered. So that's some of the biggest differences. What's your bottleneck right now? Is it deal flow? Is it capital? Is it employees, subs? Subs, definitely. I'm finding that there's a lot of people, my subs that I do have, a lot of their employees aren't coming back to work. Maybe they're collecting unemployment. That's been a big issue, especially during COVID. The other thing I find is capital is not so much of a problem. It is the deal flow because foreclosure auctions was a large portion of our acquisition We've been shifting into buying more tax lien certificates, tax deed states. We've been also buying non-performing notes. We're actually working on negotiating one right now, a big package. And then we're actually shifting into commercial, which is actually one of the deals we just locked in the other day, which I'm really excited about. Tell me about that. So it's a shopping plaza in East Long Meadow. They haven't been run very well. There's a lot of deferred maintenance, roof, siding, leaks everywhere. But it has some good tenants in there and the location is perfect. So we were actually going to the auction, willing to bid uh, 2.6 million. And we actually got it for 2.2. So win. And basically once we reposition everything and get all the tenants in there, the value should be about 4.5 to 5 million. And we're probably going to have to put in another $300,000 in rehab. And what makes this a perfect location? Well, it's right near a great rotary in East Longmeadow. East Long Meadows also lots of job growth. There's a high net worth in that area as well. There's tons of traffic going through as well. So you have a lot of good storefront traffic and it's just an up and coming market. Matt, you said there are some good tenants there. What are those good tenants? We've got a bakery that's doing really well, a nail salon, a beauty salon. There's a really nice restaurant that's there, a jeweler that's been there for about 30 years. And then one of the kind of anchors stores is this little cafe that has seven other shops all around the area. And that one brings honestly probably the most traffic 
I was there over the weekend with my fiance and there was just so many people flooding to that one spot. And what's your plan on improving it? Well, first thing is obviously fixing all the deferred maintenance. So I want to basically get the roof done. We're going to be upgrading all the air handlers. There is an issue with a couple of units where they're actually splitting electricity. So we want to submeter it out. We're going to basically upgrade the facade. It's very dated. There's a building right next to it that's been updated and ours sticks out like a sore thumb. So I want to clean off that facade. There's some pillars. I want to put these stone pillars to really draw the eye there. There's these old awnings that hide half the windows for the front store. I want those gone. I want brand new signs for all the businesses that match these other signs and just really draw the attention for all the traffic that drives through. I wouldn't want to go there. I mean, this looks run down. Is there any vacancy there now? There is a couple vacancies. There's actually two buildings. So second floor of both buildings, there's some office spaces that they were renting out to a couple of law firms. And I think one was a bank and they all vacated. So talking to a local commercial realtor, we're going to actually do like these micro offices which have been really phenomenal in our area and have been going really well. You can get generally like 25 to $30 per square foot. So looking to do that. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference, February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group of eight to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at BEC2022.com. That's BEC2022.com. Are you geared more towards commercial in the future now that you saw what you could accomplish with it? Well, the bank that foreclosed on this one happens to have these three medical offices that are right around the corner in Longmeadow, even a nicer area. So we are happy to talk to them a little bit about it. So yeah, we're a little intrigued about it. I understand you're new with commercial, but from what you've seen, how do you compare residential to commercial in terms of managing, investing, landlording? I definitely see a little bit of lower return. So a lot of our stuff has generally been in C plus and B plus areas. And you can get a good return on your investment with residential, but there is a lot more hands-on. So far what I'm seeing, and also talking to some of my friends that also got shifted into commercial, a lot of these are going to be triple net leases. So it's a lot less hands-off. So we're mostly there to keep the common area and the cam areas in good shape and the general structure of the building, the envelope, so to speak. And what I love about commercial is that the value is based on the income approach, not the market approach. So therefore I can force appreciation very easily by, like I said, with this one property, basically getting a couple of good tenants in there, improving some of the facade, I'm able to increase all the rents. And that right there is what's going to increase that value of that property. I don't have to wait for a whole bunch of other houses to sell and bring up the market. Now you mentioned the return is lower. Are you talking about cash flow? Or yeah. internal rate of return. But what if you factor in the sale? Because you're going to make over a million dollars on this sale if you were to sell it after you oh. improve it. Right. So overall IRR, commercial be- versus residential. Well, from my perspective, yeah, it would be higher. If you do an IRR, you're correct. But on cash cash return, I'm seeing it is a little bit lower, at least at this point. So you're not convinced to go into non-residential commercial just yet? 
do want to go into a little bit. Uh, okay. Once again, I need to learn it first. So this Got is it. the first foyer into it. And we'll see if maybe put both feet in once we get into it. Okay. And the reason I harp on that is I'm a full-time non-residential commercial investor. Yep. And another thing that I love about it is you deal with business owners versus residential tenants. And you often deal with people who improve their space versus destroy it. I completely agree. So what's next? You got the commercial going on. I want to back up a little bit. You said your bottleneck was dealing with subs and getting enough good help. Yep. And I'm going to again venture to guess after now we've known each other about 25 minutes, you started some kind of contracting company where you get to control subs, hire subs. Is that right? We have a construction company. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Tell me about that. Do you lend out your subs to other jobs, other landlords? As we started basically doing a little bit of project management and we did start expanding a little bit into that where we have an on-staff electrician and he has also his apprentice as well as we have a master plumber and she has an apprentice. So at this point, because that's one of the bottlenecks with most of my friends and colleagues out there. So today we're actually out installing a brand new intercom in a seven unit building for a guy. So as my guy has downtime, generally I prioritize our stuff first and my clients for the property management, but I have picked up a few, actually Home Depot has also been throwing his work. There's a church conversion out in Pittsfield that we just put a bid on that is converting into a 48 unit complex. So Home Depot, because we have a very good ties with them, with all the others, they've actually asked me to bid the electrical work. That's great. So you seem to make this look easy, but I know it's not. What advice would you give people that are in the beginning stages where they maybe have one, two, or three properties under their belt and they want to supercharge their business like you did, what advice would you give that person that's starting out? I would think that the first thing, like I was saying a little bit earlier, was getting good property management. And that basically comes down to having good systems. The only way to really scale is that you need systems to be able to scale because you only have so much time. And even, yeah, maybe I have a little bit more than 24 hours sometimes, but for the most part, I'm still only one guy. And even if I hire a couple other people, they need to have systems and you have to also learn to be able to delegate and accept that. That's the, one of the hardest things was accepting that I'm not always going to get hundred percent. I know I'll go crazy with everything doing what I want to do, but I need to accept that these people are going to help me grow and they'll get maybe get 80% of what I could accomplish. But that now allows me, if I have that person doing 80%, that person doing 80%, now I'm able to do this. It allows me to scale that way. So I think Learning to delegate and having good systems in place is key. And Matt, where does your capital come from today? Is it all internal that's recycled or do you still have the same investor or do you have additional investors? For the most part, it's the same investors at this time that we've had the same people. And a lot of it has been, as we've grown, we've put lines to credit and built stuff like that. Just like we were talking about the commercial, one of the ways we're looking at doing it, we don't want to pull out all that equity. We're going to probably fix the property up, have it reappraised. And then what I'd like to do is put a line of credit on the difference so that we'll have another million plus to play with for another deal. And is there a certain percentage return that you can assure your reinvestors or what's that conversation like? If somebody comes to you, what kind of return can you promise them? We're not working with outside investors, but these investors that we have are actually partners. Okay. So they partner on specific deals with you. Okay. And are most of them passive or some of them active? There's only two and they're active. Are you looking for additional investors? At this time, we're not. Maybe if we expand more into the commercial realm as the deals get bigger, 
that might be something we're going to look into. But at this point, we have enough capital for what we have our hands in. And the reason I asked that, Matt, was I wondered if from your earlier experience talking with all of those doctors and saw that they don't have time for investing, maybe they don't make the greatest decisions on investing because of that. I wonder if you saw a niche there where you could present opportunities to very busy medical professionals that don't have the, oh, you're laughing. Okay, come on, tell me. (laughs) There's a group of doctors that I've been talking with. Okay. (laughs) There are two doctors, two dentists. And that's exactly what we're talking about. They've been reaching out to me and I'm working on helping them potentially buy an industrial building. And how would that work? They came to you, they wanted to buy industrial and you're going to essentially source and manage it? Well, I do have my brokerage as well. So of course I have a real estate license too, just because why not, right? Why not? (laughs) And essentially what I, through connections, someone reached out to me as kind of a pocket listing on something. So they had actually been talking to me for the last year. So I thought about them. It wasn't something that I was interested in. So essentially what the way it would work, at least at this point in time, is I would refer them to it and I would basically get a small part of the pie of ownership. And then they actually asked me possibly to manage it as well. I'd add it into the management portfolio and I'll get a little piece of the pie. That's a great win-win. <laughs> you also mentioned earlier that you are expecting a downturn in the economy. How are you positioning yourself for that? Right now, we're focusing on making sure we tighten up our ship with any loose ends. We've been selling off some of our more troubling properties. We did have up to 500 units. We're now down to 250. We've gotten rid of some, paid off some debt, as well as have some capital on the side. And the other thing we're making sure we're reaching out to banks and getting as many lines of credits signed up and ready to go for what we see as hopefully a buying opportunity. Where do you see your business in five years? Right now, I'm really intrigued and excited about the commercial stuff. I'd love to hear more from you some point in time, but uh, maybe 20% of our portfolio more in the commercial. And I'm hoping to buy more residential as well. I do love more B-class. I'd like to get into apartment complexes. Harold Grinspoon was an inspiration for me. He actually lives in Longmeadow. I'm not sure if you know Harold at all. I don't, but I'll look him up. Aspen Square Management, the largest privately owned residential company in the United States. I think he's got like 40 something thousand units. Wow. Interesting. That's amazing. Matt, I got to circle back again on another question. You were jaded on remotely managing that property that ended up foreclosed on. How are you feeling about that now? Are you okay with remotely managing properties or is everything within a driving vicinity of where you live? So I've been expanding a little bit into that, dabbling my toe in the water, so to speak. So I have done some turnkey investing. So I found some stuff in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm looking into Gary, Indiana, and a couple other markets that I've been researching and finding good turnkey operators that have phenomenal systems. I'm focusing a little bit on the return, but it's about the people there and what systems they have and the team they have and if I feel comfortable with them. Okay. So you know how to grow capital. Why are you investing in other people's deals? It's more of a hobby. It's fun. I like you going with it and also helping a couple of my friends as a little mastermind that we grew. So it was part of that. That's great. So Matt, what an incredible interview. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Build systems and learn to delegate. Matt, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Let's do it. Matt, what's the best ever book you recently read? The best ever book I recently read was Recession Proof Investing by Jay Scott. What was your biggest takeaway from that? Understanding market cycles and really understanding rhymes 
So you can position yourself, in, especially in inefficient market like real estate, way ahead of time and really profit from a downturn. Fantastic. Matt, what's the best ever way you like to give back? Well, we actually have a YouTube channel and our TikTok. We basically go live multiple times a day. We go live at our foreclosure auctions and basically teach others what we're doing and show them our mistakes on our YouTube videos and try to help them learn from everything we've done over the years. That's great. And Matt, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Well, we have a great YouTube channel called Two Guys Take on Real Estate, as well as the same on TikTok. And they can definitely reach us there. And that's the best way. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show today. You've given us incredible advice, taking us along on your journey from pre-med to getting the real estate bug. And you've built this incredible enterprise with some hard lessons learned along the way. So again, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time with us. Have a best ever day and best ever listeners. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. Thank you, Ash.